episode is brought to you by Squash Clothing and Sugar Life. Welcome to the Overly Excited Podcast, hosted by Jack Watts and Dale Sidebottom. Two friends with a passion for life, learning... And all things that get them jumping out of their seats. <laughs> Alrighty, everyone. Welcome back. This is uh, Two Little Ducks Bingo Style, number 22 episode for the Overly Excited. Who doesn't love a bit of bingo? Uh, with my co-host, Jacko. How are you, great man? Good to be here. Sorry. Uh, I missed you, mate. I oh, know, I oh, know. I missed uh, you. Been a little hiatus. And I'll tell you what, we're packing a punch here. We're starting the year off with a bang. Damien, Doc Murdoch, all the way from Noosa. The best part in the world. How are you, great man? Yeah, good lads. How you doing? Now, we're excited for this, and I'll tell you what, we start every podcast, Jack, don't oh. we, with a question. And if I forget starting with this question, I cop it for the next 10 episodes. So, <laughs> yeah. so Doc, what gets you excited, mate? What gets you jumping out of bed, out of your skin? What are you, what are you desperate to do today? <laughs> well, I thought you might ask me that. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I had to think about it. I suppose today the main thing, um, as we record this, I'm flying down to Melbourne tomorrow to see a guy called um, Dr. Andrew Huberman, if you've heard of him. He's a wow. oh, neuro... Huberman Labs. The Huberman, man. Huberman Lab, that's the yeah. dude, yeah. Yeah, so I'm flying down to Melbourne to see him tomorrow, so I'm pretty excited about that. I've been following him for probably 10 years, like as a result of, you know, the anxiety and so on I had in the past. Um, and then he started the Huberman Lab in... 2021 i think and yeah i've been following him closely since then and pretty pumped i'm like so it's you... like i'm going to a taylor swift concert <laughs> <laughs> hey i'm going to that in about a week's time doc so it is a week is it i was wondering where they do the huberman taylor swift double double yeah uh so you jumped on about seven years before everyone else did on the on the huberman train how did you yeah start? i got on to him i got on to him through a mentor of mine actually who met him in the states and I just, he was really helpful for me because he just, um, just, he, he had a lab studying fear and that's what I was sort of overcoming, like anxiety and, and panic attacks and so on. So things that he said back then really resonated with me. And then with clients, I've been quoting him for ages. And so it's been, yeah, it's been yeah. interesting. I remember. He's taken off. Yeah, I, I remember. Yeah, he sold oh, out. The whole tour sold out. Oh, no doubt, mate. He is unbelievable. I remember you sent me a podcast, one of his very early ones, and I'd never heard of him. Um, you sent yeah. one around the benefits of play. Um, That's I, reckon right, I've, yeah. I reckon I've listened to that about five or six times. Always yeah. go back to it um, because there's so much. I don't know. People have got a lot of science and evidence and research, but the way he uses it, but then actually talks about it being practical and things like that. Um, yes, yeah. yeah, so I can see why you're probably uh, jumping out of your skin excited to get there, mate. So Yeah, what, I'm pretty got, pumped. What have you got? Is it like a seminar or something, or do you actually get to meet him? Or No, no, it's just a, yeah, it's a seminar. So he's yeah. doing six shows around Australia. He's doing two in Melbourne, I think, and it's at the convention centre and just go along as a fanboy. And Amazing. Up what say. So good. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, now, mate, obviously, for listeners out there, a little bit of your backstory and things like that. You, you're you from Shepparton and uh, so am I. Great 3630 postcode, if you're wondering, <laughs> everyone. Right. Place to be. But, uh, Doc, I think today we're going to, you know, you've already mentioned around, like, fear and that you suffered anxiety. Do you want to, like, give a little short brief for people about, you know, your journey and where you've come from and, and what you're doing now? Because, um, yeah, I, I think anxiety is something that a lot of people have in certain aspects and everyone will feel some form of it throughout their life. And um, I think the way you talk about it, and um, I know I've had you on my other podcast a couple of times and 
the way you articulate it and talk about your experiences is really powerful. Yeah, well, my story was, it's similar to, do you, do you know the Tom Boyd story? If you heard him talk, the former number one draft pick, he retired at 23 or something because of his anxiety. Probably, yeah. are you in like a WhatsApp group within <laughs> Clive Waterhouse? <laughs> He's live. <laughs> Oh, we've all number one draft picks, is it? <laughs> Sorry, keep going, mate. No, but I heard, um, I heard Tom talk, and it was like, I mean, there's a lot of things that aren't similar about our stories, but I really related to his the way he talked about it. So he talks about if you start off, you're nervous in front of two thousand people, um, then it becomes a thousand, then it becomes five hundred, then it becomes one hundred twenty, and so on. And that's what sort of happened to me. Like it was just my cloak, my um comfort zone just closed in on me basically and Tom talks about how it started off for him he was getting nervous match day then it was the night before he couldn't sleep then it was getting anxious before main training sessions and then the night before training sessions and then it got to you know he wasn't sleeping for four days you know just leading into Mm -hmm. a game and yeah as I said that that's what sort of happened to me it started out with a fear of public speaking and then the comfort zone sort of closed in. Then I was starting to get these panic reactions. And when I say a fear of public speaking, like it was major, like it was, I'd get panic attacks, like where I couldn't get any words out, like just choking on the words. Yeah. And so when, um, then, then it became, I was getting that reaction, ordering lunch. And then, you know, of groups of any more than, I worked out, it was about six people, any more than six people became in my brain my nervous system something to be feared and I'd get that reaction and then it got to the stage where I was getting that leaving the house and then leaving the bedroom and that's um when you get to that stage that's pretty yeah it's pretty torturous existence and was that like a gradual thing doc like it came you know and it was was it later in life it sort of came out of nowhere or the worst that I'm just talking about the worst times was when um I was about 34 so, but it started off like now I've done all this work on myself and I sort of can trace the the key moments where, you know, one thing led to another. It was like a chain reaction of things. So it started off when I was, you know, about 14 or just normal teenage stuff. Like, you know, I've heard people talk about this as bullying, but I don't look at it as that. It was just rejection and you're going to get that at some stage. And so I got that, you know, a couple of mates rejected me from the group, wanted to fight me at a party and so on. Yeah. Then the way that I interpreted that, you know, the meaning I put on that, that caused the problems later on, you know, it meant that, you know, in my head, it was like, you know, I can't be myself. I've got to be something else to, to fit in and so on. So yeah. That mask, we we, we speak about that a lot. Do you mean like the mask that we think we have to put on, but you know, it's it's very easy to say that when you're looking back at it, but at the time, that's the that's your coping mechanism. You've got to do that. Yeah. So when that happened, that was year nine, and um, that's the worst year of my life. You know, mum took me to a psychologist, and looking back, I had depression, and I sort of suffered that off and on for thirty years after that. Um, but it was it was basically like at the end of year nine that. I decided, I still remember where I was, that it was it was on school holidays, going back to school, and I decided that I wasn't going to say anything unless I knew it was going to be a winner. And so you're setting that dialogue up in your head where you're judging everything. And so then as that went on, it's just this, you know, that voice in your head sort of thing, yeah. like yeah. with anxiety, with, 
you show me someone that's anxious that they'll sh- definitely that voice is, yeah. is not healthy you know so as it went on then you know i lost fear i lost um confidence public speaking which i'd loved up until then i was really natural and really enjoyed doing it up till that time and then had a few things, you know, like I was, because I couldn't control, you know, in normal interactions, I could control the, you know, what I said and how, how, you know, I control that little group I was in or whatever, but public speaking, you haven't got that. And so that became a fear for me. And then it just took a, a few bad experiences like work presentations and 21st and things like that, where that just got worse and worse, you know, I didn't, um, I got that fear. And then once that, it's like a domino effect, it just gets, gets worse and worse and then it it was just this really innocuous incident like at dinner with mates when I was about 22 and I was I was telling a story and then as your mates do just hanging shit on you just said oh you're a shit storyteller in my (laughs) head I'm just going yeah I am I'm not a I'm a listener I'm not a talker and so that when you know these little decisions that you make and then The yeah, you, way put, you, you put so much weight on your mate probably never thought about it, it ever again. Comment. Yeah, yeah. But, I've but still never told him. If I told him, he'd be shattered. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he'd probably he'd probably hang shit on me about what a dickhead I was. Really. <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably now you can look back at it. If if things hadn't changed, he probably wouldn't be able to. It is. It's an interesting one though. I remember I was MC for uh, one of the boys' weddings, and um, one of the my old Melbourne teammates. And I just left, went to per, per, um, Port Adelaide, came back, was the MC the year after. And I sort of, you know, I haven't spent a year there. There's a few new players there and whatnot. I get up, I'm the MC and I'm trying to be funny. And I said a couple of jokes and stuff. And I just felt after, and they didn't land. A couple of them didn't land very well at all. <laughs> and um, and then I just remember like, I barely drank the whole wedding. I barely, I, as soon as it was done, straight back to my room, I was stressing about it. I messaged these two guys like, hey, mate, like, sorry, you know, I was trying to be funny and blah, blah. And they sort of, you know, oh, mate, don't even worry about it. It's fine. But in my own head, I am I was stressing about it for weeks afterwards. It's just interesting yeah. how you can blow it up in your own head so much more than what anyone else is really thinking about it, you know? Yeah, and this is the danger, right? So... You know, with my story, it's basically a model of how these things can develop. So that that happened that when I was 22, that was like a long chain of events led to that thing in the restaurant. But then I decided that I wasn't a public speaker. And so my nervous system's listening to that decision. It's just like, okay, all right, we don't speak in public anymore. So I didn't do that for a few years. And it got to a point where I was, I was living in London and I was working at an international shipping company and I sort of had a bit of imposter syndrome being there I didn't feel good enough to to be in that position or whatever but um it was just at a sales meeting and we we're just going around the circle and we just had to read take it in terms of reading reading from this um page and I'm a good reader there's no need to be you know nervous or anything but as it got closer my heart just started to beat out of my chest and the whole room closed in on me and I, it, I had what's by now and I was a panic attack and as it got to the guy next to me and I got up and took off and out of the out of the uh, room and just found myself downstairs in the toilet, just pacing up and down going, what the hell's going on? And then I talked myself into going back up, but then that didn't end well. And then as a result of that, like I tried to be funny and 
that didn't it didn't land well. <laughs> yeah, like, and they already thought I was like, you know, because I'm dairy farmer from Zerust, and they already hung shit on me about that. He's getting real rural. He's getting yeah, rural. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then that joke just didn't land. And then I, as a result of that, it was I made a decision. Then I'm never speaking in public again. Right. So then that's now set up in your nervous system, and then. As it, as it went on, when I moved back to Australia, I couldn't do job interviews. Um, you know, I, that's why I started my own business because I couldn't do job interviews, yeah. really. So, um, But your nervous system is just finding, like, just it's, it's really good at picking up on any chance that you might be asked to speak in public or whatever, and then you get those mm. panic reactions and it's just, yeah. So then as, as time, like life was still good, but I was just – avoiding I was hiding this fear of public speaking I didn't talk to anyone about it you know so um you know I was engaged and there's no way I could go through that wedding so I didn't you know I didn't um didn't get married I got asked to MC weddings I got asked to speak to schools you know on behalf of the business and I just knocked all those things back and mm. but then as time went on then it got worse it was yeah once you i want that story to keep going one thing i i find fascinating is going back to that shipping yard where you're in a circle and you're all taking in turns to read like this is one of the things i talk about a lot that you are that is the ultimate thing you should never have the limelight on one person do you mean like everybody isn't probably listening to the next person talk anyway doc because they're so nervous about what they're going to read and if they stuff it up it's such a It's, it, it blows my mind that situations like this still occur. Like it, yeah. you know, and from what you've done now and everything like that, it there's no point to it anyway. Like, why do why does that sort of stuff keep happening? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, it's there, there is situations. I mean, it's a skill you sort of need to have because I mean, with the you know, I went on to have the bar entertainment venue, and I'd have to go to liquor licensing meetings, and all we had to do was introduce ourselves and say where we were from. It was like seriously five seconds. And as soon as that came up, I'd leave the room and I'd come back in 10 minutes. Yeah, but I need to be able to do that sort of thing. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, it's just like, when, and when you can't, you are just living in this, in fear of yeah. a putting, get putting on the spot. So you're just living life trying it, to avoid yeah. these situations it's, and it's just continually on your mind. Yeah. So, like, I think there's a bit of a difference between like just being able to, you know, introduce yourself or something very simple and and then putting someone on the spot and purposely trying to catch them out or what yeah. like there's you don't want to do that but you know you need in, that skill you yeah, need I that skill to be able to it. you yeah. know whatever it might be but um yeah. and how much how much control do you have over this do- or you know like that at the time it doesn't sound like you had much control at all your body sort of took over and you know, yeah. it's, it's, um, you know, and yeah. what, what annoys me, like people sort of who, who have never experienced anxiety or whatever, oh, just do this. And, yeah. you know, oh, just, it's like, <laughs> you don't, un- like, you can't, yeah. you can't really comment if you've never experienced it. <laughs> you know, fucking shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we talk about empathy. Yeah. How do you know what they're going through? You can't give them advice. That's right. It makes it worse. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, I, I work off this model and it's got six boxes. And what you're talking about is the fifth box that the action. And everyone said, just do this, just do this. But it's like you act from your emotional state and you get into an emotional state through the self-talk. And then before that is the belief that gets triggered in the first place. Like, yeah. And anyone with the fear of public speaking will know is that like, if you're in a crowd and 
all the the speaker just has to ask someone else to speak and all of a sudden my heart is going bang before i've even had chances to think about that my body already knows shit if they're, he's asking them you might be next but my nervous system is like my nervous system is we're out of here come on, come on. <laughs> you know what i mean it's like yeah i think of that as like a like a bodyguard sort of thing and it's like the like an overzealous bodyguard you know and it's just like the someone moves or whatever and he's got he's got me and he's got me in the the limo or whatever you know off the, the movie the bodyguard or whatever you know he's got me <laughs> before you know it it's just like on high vigilance and he's just overboard but it just um yeah anyone that suffers it knows that it's not something you can just control with your mind it's yeah. like that once that trigger goes off and your heart is beating and the room all changes and all those symptoms like have you had a panic attack Jack, have you like have you nah, had, had severe not, anxiety? Not, not quite. No, no, I haven't really had severe anxiety or, or anything like that. So I'm I'm probably one of those people that can't really comment on you know that whole sort of thing shutting down and you know just not being able to do something. You know, I'm I can sort of always yeah I've been nervous doing you know getting up and giving a speech or whatever it might be, but um, yeah. yeah, probably never quite got to that debilitating stage at all. But I've certainly noticed, and I think probably as I've gotten older, almost, you know, like that, that wedding um, situation, you know, like just how much that affected me. And then like, usually I'd just roll in if I was an MC, no worries. But then I think I had a bad, that bad experience early on where I didn't feel like I was very good at it. And then I've probably been MC four or five times since. And it's, you know, I've been very, very nervous or, and it's almost been like a, replaying yeah, it. yeah it's been tough like going in thinking yeah. fuck don't try to be too <laughs> funny but then don't but then you still got to do something you still got to be semi-funny but yeah. then oh shit yeah. so it is a, it's sort as of as far as public speaking go it's probably the hardest gig mm. like it's yeah. not that's a very hard thing to do because you got to have be you personal. had any moments Scotty? uh i actually actually had a panic at, well i didn't know at the time but um during the last lockdown in COVID, i remember i was walking my son and i'd just couldn't stop crying um, just because of, you know, every, everything that was going on. And um, yeah, like I'd debilitate. I'd just sit on the ground and it, like he was only one and he's looking at me. I'm just crying. Um, and I had to do a lot of work to come back from that because I just kept bottling things up. But now you'll be yeah. right. Keep pushing with your business. Like, don't worry about that. You'll find ways to do it. And, you know, uh, I think biggest problem with that is I valued a lot of my self-worth to what I did and my identity through my business. And it was probably a good thing that that happened. And I was able to figure it out that I am not my business. I'm a person before anything else, but yeah, it was really, I, it wasn't around public speaking or anything, but it was just like my whole body shut down. And I couldn't stop crying. Like I, I don't know, it was, it, was a, it was a strange feeling and one I don't want to experience again. Yeah. And how'd you go? Like say your Ted talk, for example, how'd you go with that? Like, was that anything for you? Was that different to a normal oh. speech? struggle with that 100% like I think I practice that I recorded myself over a hundred times doing that I don't yeah I don't practice anything I do I just get up and start talking and I think the thing with doing a keynote or talking for a day you've got a whole day to talk whereas a TED talks you've only got 15 minutes and to be able yeah. to put it all into that and get it right and um there's all these guidelines so I was petrified that's and I still get nervous before any talk but knowing years that that was yeah but I, I was glad I did it because I overcome that fear and I knew I put the work yeah. in. So it worked. Mm. Um, and it's, it's probably a yeah. good lesson for me that 
if you put the work in on anything, it's like, you know, if you do a big preseason, then you're going to be more inclined to have a good round one. And exactly the same, you know, with anything you do in life, the more preparation you put in, I think that helps those anxiety and the nerves before you get up there. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the good thing about anxiety. That's what it's actually for. It's to actually make sure you're prepared. It's like that. That's where that's the positive part of that voice. It's just like, this could this could happen, you know. Like you know, it's just yeah. like you you run find yourself watching this my movie of really stuffing up, and it's just like, oh yeah, I, I need to get more prepared for this, you know. So that's how it's meant to work, but it's when it gets debilitating, it's just um, yeah, it's just. I mean, with panic attacks, the the way I explain it to people uh, who've never had one is like, if you hold your head underwater, have you ever done that for you know after twenty five seconds, you'll feel like lifting your head. If you keep it under there for say 45 seconds, you'll start to get some major changes and your your brain will be screaming at you to lift your head because it wants to keep you alive, right? Um, that's what it feels like in a panic attack. It's like it's like you're gonna drown and it's just everything's just your heart starts beating and everything changes and it's like you're in a tunnel. Um, that's for me, it's different for everyone, but it was, um, yeah, when, when I did free diving, that was where I really realized that that's, that's that feeling. It's absolute panic. Yeah. And so when you, when you're free diving, you, you have to learn to control that self-talk, get through that, just keep your mind calm and then just let your body do what it can do. And you, know, you walk out of there a few hours later and you've been underwater for four minutes and it's just like, wow, but you've got to get through that you got to get through that self-talk, that panic. You know what I mean? Because yeah. So it's yeah. um yeah that's that's how I'd explain it to people um who have never experienced one because you, you can't imagine what it's like unless you've gone through it. I think. I guess it's having the skills to be able to do that, to be able to get through it. Like, I feel like you know I look back and you know I guess my childhood and my upbringing and having like a very love you know loving caring family and you know, certainly not one thing or the other, but I think having that sort of support and um, foundation as a kid growing up, like I was a pretty confident, you know, yep. kid. And so I, I think that sort of certainly helped me, you know, deal with tough situations or, um, you know, is that, does that have anything to do with it or, or can it be completely random, you know, people with the get anxiety, it can come from anywhere sort of thing. It's yeah, it's an interesting uh, question because I mean, it's it's basically what's getting triggered in the first place is your beliefs about yourself, mm. or you know, that's wired into your body. Like once I've made the decision, I'm not a public speaker, I'll never speak in public again. That's wired in now, right? So then that's what's getting triggered, right? So if you have a, if you grow up and you've got really strong, robust belief systems things aren't going to trigger you they're going to trigger you into positive outcomes rather than negative outcomes right mm. but there's parents sort of can't win right because you can have a really healthy upbringing really good family life but this your parents never you know never go off the handle or anything but they do this one time <laughs> and because that because as a kid you're not used to it that has this marked effect on you or something else has a and then that's in your nervous system so yeah. you're almost so protected well, like you're almost when you you've had this perfect life it's almost you're so protected that one little thing can set you off whereas the kid who's dealt with it every night of his life is like oh that's nothing i can deal with that 
So does that mean, Doc, that you should just be a bad parent and you know, like <laughs> then you're not going to get that one? <laughs> you know, I'm just don't worry about it. This is like, oh, I can. I've been told just be bad. I'll be no good. At yeah, it. it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking there, but I, I, and that's, I am joking by the way. <laughs> yeah, freeze that. I've been I've been told by an anxiety expert that I could just let off the chain here. Oh, <laughs> Doc, with with yours, mate, because um, there was stages there where you couldn't get out of bed um yeah was, like what what was that like because was that like a panic attack every day or just when you're in bed yeah, that, was, that's what it was yeah i was living i mean it was a i had depression with it so like you know you were sleeping for long periods of time and so on but it got to the stage you know i was i was having these reactions leaving the house and so the the only respite from that was the newspaper you know the herald sun um, it's back in the day where we used to actually buy yeah, a newspaper. <laughs> and, and I used to go, I used to make sure I had the exact change. So then I could just walk into the shop, get the paper, give them that back home, right? But then the, the owner was the St. George's Road shops in um, Shepparton for the for the Shep folk. It was, uh, <laughs> the, um, they had this, there was this beautiful Indian couple that owned the shop and they, they invited me for dinner. They must have recognised that something wasn't right with me and so they invited me for dinner and so now that became a thing every day where I'd have to go and and I'd have to talk to them and be someone so I'm out to the front of this shop one day just pacing up and down I couldn't bring myself just to go in and buy a paper and that was that was basically the the lowest the lowest day really that's that's the lowest point I remember and that night was yeah, just torture. Um, remember it really well. And then that weekend, that's when everything changed. You know, that's when I had to, my mates were like beside themselves. And yeah, I was pretty close to pretty close to the edge. And then that's when, you know, I had to just take take off from work and yeah. Um and start from there, um, Doc, like what what did you do? What things did you put in place? What helped you the most? Um, yeah, I'm really interested to know like you know, I'm sure you've, yeah, from what you've gone through, I'm sure you've picked up some real sort of things that were most important to helping you. Yeah, there was, yeah, there's a number of things. So initially I went for a road trip. I came back, I tried to work again, couldn't move to Perth and um, just got a job as a landscape gardener. And like my my role there was just to try to turn up every morning and not be a weirdo, you know, because just try to talk to people and, reintroduce myself to society basically and then I got a bit better then I moved back to Melbourne and took on a bar manager job there and then I was ready to I was still in a pretty bad way but I came back and I got my business ready to sell and moved straight to Queensland and and I went to uni because I realized that this was like over a two or three year period and I've seen psychologists and nothing's changing really you know so I realized I had to work this out myself so I went to uni to study a Bachelor of Health Science, learn about the mind and the body and everything. Um, and then in the course of that, I had a I had a subject with a lady called Judy Shearer. And I pulled out of that subject because we had to do an oral presentation. And I couldn't, I just couldn't do that. Right. So I pulled out of that subject and she I ran into her and she said, you know, why did you pull out? And I told her. And she said, come and see me. And she had a private practice doing something called NLP, if you've ever heard of that. No, right. I've, I've... linguistic programming, right? And so I learned more in that 
hour and a half with her than I'd learned in the years before. And so I walked out of there knowing that that's what I wanted to do. And, you know, I did two and a half years at uni, but then I got more and more. I just went down the mindset path and I did NLP, um, hypnosis and all that sort of thing, got qualified and all that, but I'm really just doing it for, for myself, just sort of trying to sort myself out. And then there was a lot of, there was things on the side, like I just did things on outside the square, which really, really helped. There was one course I did, um, it was jumping out of a plane of skydiving, but they taught you how to do that without any emotional response. Um, so it was, it really taught me about the, the power that focus has, what you're focused on, you know, this my movie you're running, because if you run the movie that you're going to fall to your death, that's the anxiety, right? Cause that's what anxiety is. It's taking your mind out into the future and imagining bad things happening. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I really learned that, that course. And it was funny because most of the people in that course were, um, there to get over fear of heights, whereas I, I didn't care about jumping out of the plane. I, yeah. I, was, scared of, I was shit scared of the video at the end because when they <laughs> land, in the media, I didn't care about jumping out of a plane. It was like <laughs> so, so all the visualization stuff we're doing. Everyone else is on the on the jumping out of the plane bit. More minds around what how I'm gonna uh, step up to the camera and so on. You know, so it yeah. was. Yeah, it was funny, but there, there was that one. Then there was Wim Hof back in the day, like back when he was first started coming to Australia, um, twenty fourteen. I went along to one of his things. You know Wim Hof, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, yep. Oh, ice ice method, yeah. Absolutely, the Ice, ice Man, ass, mate. They are the uh, Ice Man. Big, yeah, big property. He was uh, he's a pioneer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that was um, that was really important for me, just to like the breath holds he does, and and jumping in the ice too. You know, I went to a thing down the Gold Coast. I think it was twenty fourteen, and um there was nine of us in this ice pool and there was one big gym, you know, massive guy, like really carried on and all that. But out of, I was second worst. Definitely. I was like, and it just, and Wim says, you know, the ice is a mirror. And I realized that's how I, I'm quick to anxiety. I'm, I'm quick. Mm. You know, that was a real, that was really important for me. And the breath holds that he gets you to do as well. That's like free diving in that it really teaches you about your self-talk and just, and the way that your brain will, Go, you got to breathe, breathe out, and but you can actually become. You can just sort of watch that chaos. Does that make sense? Control it. Um, yeah, yeah. You can control. You become the watcher of your thoughts. You are not your thoughts, and that is that is the most important thing yeah. to learn, in my opinion. That's what to my, you know, meditation in its early stages. That's what you know. A lot of people say they can't meditate. You know, they think too much, but like. Just, yeah, what are you thinking about? What's your thoughts? What are you annoyed about? What do you, yeah. who do you want That's to That's almost the whole point of meditation is, you know, you well, can't, yeah. You, bring your thought back to being present. Right. Like anxiety can't yeah. occur if you're present. Realistically, you know, it doesn't, yeah. it normally happens when you're worried about something that may never occur in the future. That's where yeah. it builds up, isn't it? That's, well, that's how I talk about it. Yeah. And so it's, so these things like, there's meditation, but these things like free diving, jumping out a plane, ice baths, you know, even cold showers, they force you to to look at that. You know, because if you like if you're free diving and you give in to that voice, then you might die. You know, so you learn pretty quick. And you <laughs> listen, you know, you don't listen to school or whatever, but when your life's at danger, yeah. you listen, you know, and you do what you're meant to do. And you just learn that you actually can control this because yeah. and you learn to laugh at it too. And one one thing that was really important in that regard is um, the com comedy course I did. So when I, you know, I worked on my public speaking, did some courses and did Toastmasters. And then um, 
yeah, the idea of a, a comedy gig came up. I saw this post of a of a um, stand up comedy course, and I knew that that was the scariest thing that I could do. That is the scariest. I'll put my hand yeah. up, Doc. I speak every day. That like that's a goal I want to do one day because it petrifies the shit out of me. Like, yeah. I'm just not even bothering. <laughs> I'm not even bothering. I'll do anything else on the planet, yeah. but yeah. So do you like Doc? Like, how can you go from yeah. just getting over the fear of public speaking to say, right, I need to do a stand-up comedian routine? Like, how do you do that? Well, it's basically what 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 you're doing is you're you're slowly nudging your way. You know what I do with clients is you nudge your way outside your comfort zone because you've got to increase that comfort zone, right? So you just do little things just to nudge the boundaries back, right? But if you can do something like, and I knew it because it's what I talk about. When I saw the poster, it was like I tried to avoid it for three months, but it, it just kept going. <laughs> you got to walk your talk here because I told <laughs> start work with clients at that stage, and it was like, shit, I've got to do it. So I just. <laughs> went into it and but I learned it it forced me to use every skill that I learned yeah over that time it was like my grand final where yeah. I had to and it was interesting like I had all these skills and I was okay leading into it but I was first up after the interval and on the actual gig there was like 220 people or something and during the interval like I was feeling fine but then the voice started and this time it's not screaming at me it's just like you know, you got nothing to prove here. Just and I was looking out the window. It's just, or just walk out there, and I nearly did. And so by this stage, it's not yelling at me anymore, but it's just finding that way to just get you out of the. <laughs> and that's what your brain does. Just but get, yeah, I guess like that wasn't. Yeah, you didn't just jump straight into that. You did. You took. It took a whole lot of work of just nudging outside your comfort zone, doing little things that you were achievable, and then it was sort of you know you, you can't really just go from nothing to everything. Yeah. and hope that you're going to succeed, can you? Yeah, well, it's. I mean, it's best probably to build yourself up, you know, just to, like, increase that comfort zone like, like I'm talking and then – but eventually, like, once you do that, then once I'd done that gig, then that blew the boundaries of my comfort zone apart. Then, right? <laughs> then, no then doubt, I, mate. <laughs> yeah, then I, did a, then I did a radio show where – and that was to the next stage where, yeah, it's okay. I build myself up for an event, but to rock up every week then was the next challenge, you know? And so you just sort of slowly getting your comfort zone back. Yeah. Um, and there, there's still things that trigger me and I'm like, oh, what's going on here? Like, you know, it's, it's like doing corporate stuff. That was a, the next thing. Cause I don't see myself as a corporate person. So once I got asked to speak to companies, I was like, Oh, I can't do that. I don't do that. I'm not a cook, you know, and that's the same thing again. It's those beliefs, you know, and mm. so you've got to deal with that. And yeah, so it's still, there's still a couple of things. I couldn't get up and the MCG and talk in front of a hundred thousand people. I still just marvel at people that can do that, but yeah, but that's a process. You get there, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's um, like with your TED talk, Heidi, what was yeah. the, so you speak, you've, you would have done thousands of talks. Yeah. So yeah. Why is it the TED talk? What, Oh, because that, magnitude. people people will watch that doc. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. the, I did that for like, yeah, I wanted to say I've done it, but I did that because I knew people would watch it. I knew I'd, if I did a TED talk, I could get a book deal. If I got a book deal, then, yeah. you know, you sort yeah. of need these things and no one's going to watch uh, our keynote that I do. Well, I wouldn't recommend it. It'd be boring. Like unless you're yeah. in the room, you know, then I'm guessing it's not boring, but no one's going to be sitting there with particularly attention spans we have these days. But a TED Talk's got that magnitude about it. People watch them because 
They know it's the best that somebody's got. They've put a lot of time into it and it's 15 minutes, you know. So that's why. Yeah, see what you've done there, the way the story that you're telling and you've built yourself up towards it. And it's the same model for footballers, you know, like at training, you can you can kick them from anywhere, but 30 metres straight out in front when there's 100,000 at the G, it's a different thing. You put a different meaning on what that kick is, whereas really you just go back and put it through, yeah. you know. And, and the great players, when we're talking about beliefs, you know, you, you listen to a Jonathan Brown or, you know, you see Jamie Elliott there a couple of years ago at Anzac Day, didn't even oh. look for the kick. Didn't even look for the pass. You know what I mean? In his head, no, I'm born for this. You know, Jonathan Brown, they've got that belief where it's like, no, nah, I'm, I'm the man, right? But the the rest of us, like, go into that story of what if I miss, what if I, you know? And, and it's the same thing with public speaking. It's like if you can talk to six people, you can talk. You actually, unless you make it into something else in your mind. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and it, it can come and go too, I found, like, some you know for a couple of years you're confident as all hell and you're doing everything and you're not missing and you know and and then all of a sudden you might have an injury or something and you're coming back and then it's like you miss a couple and you think shit am i have i still got it do i you know like and everyone sort of goes through that Um, yeah yeah Yeah, you see see that um quite often don't you get a beautiful kick of the footy everyone starts talking about what a great shot of goal they are and then all of a sudden like that's pressure in their mind and then yeah. it changes yeah. changes that process doesn't it i definitely remember like when i went to port adelaide it was like oh he's a great kick and he's just gonna he doesn't miss and all this and then i went over there and I was, it was <laughs> you know i'm meant to not miss and i meant to, and i just yeah. started kicking two goals three and one goal four and you know it's like it's in your head because you're thinking oh the fuck, the coach brought me over here to do he this and everyone thinks yeah. and, and then oh, i miss and it's like this big sigh from the whole team Oh, he's not meant to miss, and it's you know it's amazing what the brain and the mind can sort of, you know. Yeah, do. it's that it's that self talk, that story we go into, the meaning we put on that particular mm. thing. Where real pro, they all you know they all talk about just coming back like you talk about society, just purely present and just focus on executing what you need to do. Yeah, yeah. What about um, I'm interested, uh, Doc, because. I've heard you live up on the hill over there in Noosa in, in <laughs> my paradise up there in Noosa where I'm eventually I'm going to get up there and live for, you know, a period of time. But yeah. what does uh, your environment, you know, I, I, I guess I only go up there for a couple of weeks at a time and, you know, I, I just find that I'm so calm and content and happy and I'm, you know, in that environment compared to sort of hustle and bustle in Melbourne. Did that have any effect with you or when did you move up there and you know how much yeah. how much is that can that sort of influence you know how someone might feel yeah for me it was really important like because I was um yeah I had a bar and nightclub entertainment venue and it wasn't a particularly healthy um lifestyle really and so up here it, it, was, it was a really important part of me um you know just getting healthy again basically and so I've got my um, routines that I do now and I find that, they, you know, like a, they really help me. I, I miss them when, you know, I can go without them now, but like I'm really keen to, to get back to it. And it's just, um, yeah, I just find it's a, you know, I get out in nature a lot more. Like you just naturally do that here. So yeah. it's just, a, yeah, I just I just find it's a, a lot healthier. And yeah, yeah. I, just have, yeah, I think, I'm, yeah, it's an interesting I'm, one. Like don't want to harp on it, but. 
I guess for me personally, like when you said the bar and, you know, pub scene sort of thing, like I certainly know when I'm going out and partying and not being healthy as much, everything else in life becomes a lot more difficult. Like, you know, those things in terms of, you know, if I was to be put on the spot to be an MC or even, you know, meetings at work or having big calls at work or, you know, when you're coming in off a big weekend, it's like you I, I know personally I stress so much more about them. Whereas if I'm, you know, if I've had a good month and I'm healthy and I'm fit and firing, it's like, bring it on. Like your self-talk is so different. Yeah. Self-talk's different. Yeah. And that's, there's a chemical component to that too. Like it's like any emotional state is it's just a bunch of chemicals in your body. So, you know, having a big weekend just changes the chemical chemicals in your body. You know, there's like, yeah, yeah alcohol, it's like, you know, glutamate's got something to do with that fact that when you're on the grog, you, your anxiety goes, you say anything, <laughs> anything yeah. to anyone. But then the next day, the body's going, oh, we haven't got any glutamate because that's been blocked by the alcohol. And then so it produces more. The next day, you got twice as much. So you've got double the anxiety. You know what I mean? I always knew that I got more anxious. Like I really struggled with anxiety after I'd been on the grog. But yeah. when I learned that, it was like, yeah, of course. You know, so it's like um, I, I had to, I got off the grog for a period of time, you know, when I was trying to get uh, get over my anxiety or whatever. But then eventually, like, you know, it's one of my favourite things to do is, you know, have a beer with mates and so on. So now I just don't, I don't take the thoughts seriously, you know, in those following days. It's just like I sort of, I've learned to laugh at it like you laugh at that voice that came up at the comedy gig it's sort of you you recognize it once you understand your nervous system and yeah. understand what those voices are and you know the way that it's reacting and responding you can learn to laugh at the thoughts almost yeah yeah and that's when you get to that it's interesting like we spoke about it a lot you know on previous podcasts but like educating yourself like when when you actually understand what's going on it's it's a lot yeah. easier to handle i think like and, um, you know, I found it interesting that you, you know, you went and said, I've got to do this myself. I've got to figure this out myself and actually went and understood, you know, the science behind it and what's actually going on in my body, yeah. because then you can sort of make, it makes a bit more sense, you know? So the next day when you're feeling shit or when you're having one of the, you know, it's like, okay, I actually know what's going on in my body now. So I can sort of compute it a little bit and understand it. And then I can, you know, try and do whatever it might be to help. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of people are doing the same thing I did, I did, you know, like you get on YouTube and look for what cures anxiety or whatever, and that you come across someone who's telling you, do this, it works, it's the best thing. You try that, it doesn't work. And then so you put that in the bin and never again. But when you when you actually learn about your nervous system, then you go, okay, that's why that works. But then, but it's a piece of the puzzle. Like if I do this with that, and to me, it's there's no one cure for anxiety, but there's all these pieces of the puzzle. When you put them all together, you can start to take charge of your emotional state and not get those feelings. But it's it's a matter of getting curious because I think a lot of people are just wanting it fixed, you know, with a pill yeah. or a, for a therapy session. Yeah. Yeah. Ther- therapy session, going to this therapist and they want to walk out there now later and just be fixed whereas to me I, I my philosophy is around that education piece it's just like when you understand your nervous system and there's nothing more fascinating to me you know, mm. 
geek on it, but <laughs> learn about your nervous system. Like it is fucking fascinating. Like, and the more you learn, the more you want to learn. And it's just incredible. And then once it then gives you this um, owner's manual for your body. And then once you've got that, once you can control your emotional state, you can lean into challenges and take things on and it's possible to do stuff. It's like, so your anxiety in a way, it can be the, this could be the most important thing that ever happens to you because when you learn about this nervous system, then everything sort of opens up. Mm, yeah. Well, very true. Like emotions, anxiety is an emotion that we need, like, and it's never, Absolutely. we're never yeah. going to lose it. Like it's, it's something that we have to have, but the key is like you said, being able to regulate that. And, I've, and that's where everyone's different. There's no one size fits all manual and that's life in general. Like if you want to get healthy, like some people might like riding, running, swimming, rolling. It doesn't matter. Like everybody is different. Um, One of the things I want to go back to, I'm backtracking a little bit here. Sorry, doc. When, you know, there's a lot of people here that like you've got support networks and you've got friends and you know when someone's struggling and you want to help them, but like you said before, just get on with it, just do this. That's definitely not the right way to go about it. What are, for people listening, and I'm sure there's people in your life that you may know are struggling from some form of anxiety or they might be a little bit depressed or something like that. What is a better way to start the conversation than say, you'll be right, just get on with it or, you know, just get out the door. Or like, instead of telling them what, from what you've gone through, and I know all the work you do with clients, how's a better way of reframing that conversation so the narrative changes um, and it's a positive outcome instead of burdening that person by feeling like they can't do it or they're not as good or do, do you sort of get where I'm coming from? Yeah, it's basically, I think, just trying to, I mean, for someone who's not trained or educated or whatever, I think it's just listening, really, that and then referring, really. So trying to trying to find out a bit, yourself and trying to come across someone that yeah you, know, you think might be able to help but um yeah i think actually understanding how they're feeling rather than like what jack said before you know like the fifth box i just do it just get i'll just get up there and talk or just you know just that's it's just not the answer like it's just um because when you're in an emotional state you act from that emotional state mm. like if you're in fear you will act from that fear you know what i mean so it's it's not probably not telling them what to to do is trying to understand you know the emotion behind it mm, yeah so, that makes sense or yeah no no it does it does and i think uh, actively listening is probably one of the biggest skills that you can have in life and you can never get good at it i don't feel like it's a, it's a work in progress and something you know I'll, I'll be honest i used to i used to wait for the person to have a break so i could just start talking again and you know, yeah, I think right. a lot of people are like that. Whereas if you actually listen, if you're talking, you're not normally learning. If you're listening, that's when you're learning. Um, and that's a skill that we all need to, you know, practice more. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll look back to like that, that time I was talking to you about earlier, like the, the real low point, lowest of the low, the next day, um, you know, I had a couple of mates that knew I was in a pretty bad way. And then they come around to see me and I'd gone out that day, I'd gone for a drive and they were, beside himself all day because they thought that you know um it might not end well and the, to see the look on their face that night was really just how much they cared and um how much how scared they were because I, I i thought i was sort of hiding it to some extent but how scared they were that that was a wake-up call to me that people cared that much and that i was impacting other people that much and so it it really encouraged me to do something about it 
Yeah. But just yeah, having having that care, I suppose, it's just really important when you're in those times. Yeah, it's it's um it sort of shows how important it is to let the people know that you love and you care about. Like when yeah, when you're in a you know, I've I've been in bad places in my life and you feel like you're all alone, you feel like you're worthless, you feel like you're, you know, not like you're a burden on everyone around you rather than, you know, understanding there's so many people out there that love you and and are there for yeah. you and care for you but um it's and you know it's um it's hard to sort of understand that and feel that w- when you're feeling pretty shit about yourself um so you know it is important for to let people know how much you care about them and you know might be a bit uncomfortable as blokes and whatnot but uh, we need to change that though. yeah Do you know what I mean like um, that i think that the narrative is changing but mm. you know we're still got it and that's why talking about it here is so important like it's it's such an important thing, particularly for males. Like, yeah. You know, uh, well, you've just spoken about it, you know, with, with your friends that day and you saw how much they cared. And that was a long time ago. I still, there's yeah. still a stigma around mm. it in a way. I think it's changing, but yeah, we, we still need to get better at that. Mm. Yeah. And as far as getting back to what you said before, Sadi, about, you know, what you can do for people, I think just understanding that, you know, when, like what Jack's talking about, when you're in that depression, you can't see your way out of that. That's all you can see. There's a doctor called Dr. Paul Conti, who's um who's, who's brilliant with trauma and depression and so on. And he he talks about it like when you're depressed, uh, it's like being in a room and there's beautiful things out three sides of the through the windows on three sides, but through one side, it's just all shit, right? With depression, you it's like all the curtains are closed and you but you're just looking out this crack and all you can see is the shit and the, the shit things. You actually can't see any of the positive stuff. So if everyone's just aware of that's what's actually going on with someone when they're depressed, and when you're tracking in the brain, that's actually what's happening. It's just looping around on the it's like a, a scratch record just going round and round. You can't actually see anything but that. So just being aware of that, I suppose, that they're not going to be, you can be trying to be positive and all that, but they're actually telling them that what a great person they are, whatever, but they're just not seeing yeah. that, that, that. So it's just a matter of. Well, like, like what you're saying about they're only seeing one thing. If you say all these great things to them and there's, they'll pick up one thing that is not a good thing. And that's what will repeat on the scratch yeah. loop for them as well. Yeah. While they're looking, you know, they could be at the Noosa lifesaving club. They've got the best view ever all around, but they're looking yeah. at the back wall. They don't realize how, yeah, that's it. They know how yeah. good it is. Best place in the world, yeah, by is. the way, oh too, Jacko. Get me those prawns. <laughs> Get me some of those prawns. Okay. Now, Better Tom, come up with this podcast, boys. Mate, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll pencil that in after this. Uh, now, buddy, uh, obviously you do a lot of work with one-on-one clients. I know that. But uh, you speak to schools, you do corporate work, everything like that. Um, what is it that you do? And and for people listening along here, how could they maybe find more? Or do you have, do you have courses out there or things coming up? Yeah, so I run programs and it's 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 along the lines of what we've been talking about today. So it's it's that awareness. It starts off with the awareness of what's going on in your nervous system, how it's responding to things. And I find once people know that, then they're ready to actually do something about it, you know, rather than just looking up something on YouTube and trying something and, and it not working. So I teach that, that awareness of their nervous system, sort of give them the owner's manual to, to it really. And then it's it's the checklist of what to do in those situations. So how to control your emotional state, you know, how to um, control 
that voice that we've been talking about, you know, the way that you're interpreting situations, meaning you're putting on it, and then getting to those beliefs that are getting triggered in the first place. So there are eight week programs or eight session programs. I'll do that one-on-one. I also run group ones, which I've got one starting on March the 20th, which um, got, runs for eight weeks, eight sessions. And there's an information night I'm running on March the 13th, which is totally free. And I'll, I'll take people through that that process, you know, give them a bit of, give them the, um, you know, that awareness of their nervous system and then just take them through the system basically of how, how they can get back to, you know, being what they want to be. Yeah, beauty. Well, we'll have we'll have links. This is episode number twenty two, two little ducks. As I said earlier, um, we'll have a link for that, and also we can reach out to Doc. Now, uh, have you got have you got a magical question to sort of finish up here, Jacko? A magical question. Thanks for putting me on the spot, <laughs> Um Now I'm getting That's anxious. A good one. My, oh. <laughs> Wait, so he helps me, he helps me out, this big fella. <laughs> <laughs> I'll run with side. Wait, that's a handball over the top, yeah. and you're in the goal square. Kick the goal, yeah. son. All right, Doc. <laughs> just off the top of my head, Doc, I've just come up with this out of nowhere. Right. What is it that you are most proud of that either you've done in your life or something that you're most proud of yourself? Um, would love to hear. It's a great question. And we've just put you on the spot too. It's a great fella. question, Jack. Well done. Thanks, Sidey. <laughs> That's just, I'm I was going to say. I'm trying to think of something outside of what we've just talked about, but really it's things like the it's the comedy gig and it's just the fact that I just kept going through the, the hard times. Yeah, but that, that's the thing. Like it's with these, the, the comedy gig, it's when you do something so far out of your comfort zone and you prove to yourself you can do it, it just becomes the, the highlight of your life almost, you know? Yeah. So it's just that, just, just what I went through to get there, I suppose nothing else comes to mind except that really, like some of those. Oh, it's that a, sense of achievement. That's a big of, one. That's, yeah. a, that's a, that's a big one though. Mm. Do you, um, Doc, do you, can you give us your best joke from your uh, comedy routine? Like <laughs> what was, what yeah, was do the, you remember the routine? Uh, that's all I want to know. Like, I want to know who, you don't have to give the whole routine, mate. Like, it's like I'm not going to recite my whole TED talk, but surely you've got that zinger, that uh, that one joke that's just going <laughs> to be an absolute belter. To be honest, there's not a part of it that I could I could say. <laughs> I, honestly, it was um, um, yeah, it was around like it was it was back in the days. <laughs> <laughs> it's back in the, days, but... the walls are just coming in right now. Be <laughs> selective just... here, dog. Yeah, I'm wondering whether my mum's um going to be listening. <laughs> yeah. and Let's just say that the whole routine was basically around being um, a Catholic boy, um, growing up in church before the days where George Powell and um, yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll go any further. <laughs> we'll leave it we'll there. Leave it there. I, I probably don't want to hear the joke. <laughs> Yeah, one for a side. Uh, you got plenty of I'm little singers. I've got a good joke. So, what do you call a guy under a, a heap of leaves? Russell. <laughs> Russell. <laughs> there you go. A couple of dad jokes. <laughs> Seriously, mate. Uh, Doc, I, we really appreciate your time today, mate. And more importantly, I think, uh, you know, when we talk about, you know, different, you know, conditions and things people are going through, particularly at the moment, you know, stress, anxiety, depression. Um, it's all well and good to tell people what to do or read it, but that lived experience, and I know that's why the work you're doing is so powerful and the impacts you do have is because you have gone through it 
and you have come out the other side. And I think the big, the big thing I've taken away and from all the stuff I've done with you over the years is you only get out what you put in and no one's going to do the work for you. And that's evident of what you've said today. And even, you know, when you're talking about a proud moment of being able to do a comedy routine like that, that even petrifies two people here that, you know, aren't in that state or anything like that. So um, yeah, if anyone's listening that you, you get out what you put in. And I think that's, you know, the message and the work that you've done on yourself is a credit to you. Um, yeah. And I, I really appreciate as always, you know, jumping on and, and sharing that because that is how people change and that's how things actually happen. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think as well, like when you're going through something like that, you, I feel like you, everyone feels like they're on their own and no one else has ever been through it. And, and we all try and hide it and we all try and be secretive because, oh, you're not meant to feel like this or you're not meant to, you know, I'm meant to be this normal person. But I know hearing, you know, the shit that I've been through in my life, hearing other people talk openly and honestly about going through something similar, it's like the weight of the world just comes off your shoulders and you realize you're not the only person who's got, done this before or you're not the only person who's going through something tough. Um, and it just gives you that hope. So yeah, really love the work you're doing doc and, and what, you know, what you've been able to achieve yourself and, and now, you know, obviously just trying to help other people. It's, um, yeah, good on you, mate. Uh, cheers boys. Um, and ju just want to say, like, it doesn't have to be all heavy either. It's just a matter of getting curious, you know, taking that attitudes get overly excited about it and yeah oh yeah get a little overly excited before we finish off i'm I'm guessing learners uh listeners are curious to find out how they can reach you mate how can they go about that yeah okay i'm on facebook damien murdoch mindset coach um i'm on instagram as afl mind coach all right and then um doc at worldclassfriend.com is my email and I don't mind giving out my phone number either, 0418 Perfect. So, All right. Well, uh, there's a few different ways of doing that there. And, uh, yeah, I, I can vouch that uh, I think this is about the third or fourth podcast I've done with you, mate. And then um, yep. each one you keep adding different spins and different elements on, you know, your journey and your story, but more importantly, the work you've done. And um, yeah, I really appreciate you getting excited with us and episode number 222. Next, uh, next pod we do with your doc can be up on the, uh, the life-saving, just looking over <laughs> maybe with a cold one and some thorns. <laughs> I'll keep you to that. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <Love> <laughs>